I want this morning, I want us to take a moment and to think of the Apostle Paul as a person, as a human being. I mean, he, Apostle, author of Scripture, all of those things are true about Paul. But we have to also consider what it was like for him to be a human being. And I, I, we're going to read just from 1 Thessalonians uh, this morning, uh, just a, a, a short couple of words. Um, this is the second time in 1 Thessalonians that Paul takes an aside to talk about a personal experience. And in, in 2 Thessalon- or 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2, um, uh, picking up... <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, picking up in verse 17. Paul says this But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left alone at Athens, left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and, and God's co worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as, uh, just as it had come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Join with me in another word of prayer as we come to the scriptures. Once again, God, we come to you. We have gathered here for you. Not to um, engage primarily on our level, but to hear from you. To sing to you, our audience, our, our object of worship, but also to hear from you in your word. Lord, help us as we look to see through the window of reality and history at someone who, like us, yearned to know you and to, and to be yours. We pray for your word to be spoken, your spirit to be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. When you picture the Apostle Paul, how do you picture him? Do you see him preaching? Do you see him teaching? Do you see him persecuted? Do you see him um, in any one of those caricatures, those uh, images, those characters, those moments? Here in 1 Thessalonians, I think we, we have a moment where we look and we see Paul in a very different, but I think very, um, very personal way. We see the Apostle Paul 
sleepless at night because he cannot be where he wants to be. A man desperately trying to reach out and connect with people that he loves and not being able to. We see a man whose heart is burdened to the point of tears. Look at, look at the way he describes. And, and don't read this in a, in a, in a tight, one-dimensional, just words-to-a-page, um, hyper-literal way, but read it with the emotional content that's charged it. Since we were torn away from you, brothers. Not, not since we had to leave, but since we were torn away. In person, not in heart. I left my heart with you, he says. We endeavored the more eagerly. That sounds so proper. But I tried so desperately to find a way to get back to you with great desire to see you face to face. I wanted to come, verse 18. I, Paul, again and again, I wanted to come. And, and in my mind, I see, and I know, you know, he may correct me if I'm wrong one day, but um, in my mind, I see Paul waking up in the morning and saying to Timothy and, and, and his companions and Silas and saying, I've got to get back to Thessalonica. And Timothy may be physically restraining him, saying, no, Paul, you can't go. If you go, they will kill you. You can't go, you can't go, you can't go. But I have to go. I need to go. I want to go. That every day, waking up saying, how can I get back? How can I hear? Being so burdened, so so overwrought. And if you don't know, uh, Paul was rushed out of the city of Thessalonica because they were, they were scared that he was going to be killed. And Paul continually, he, we, we see him as he's, he's desiring something. He says, I, I endeavored more eagerly. He says, I so desperately wanted to be, but I can't, I can't, I can't. And here's the, here's the catch about this. The reason that Paul wants to be there. And this is the part, again, seeing Paul in a different light. Why does Paul, is so he's so desperate to get back to them? Why is he so driven by this? When you read this text, what you find, as you look through it, right, and you see his words, there's one word that should stick out. In verse uh, 5, chapter 3, and verse 5. I sent to learn about your faith for fear. Why was Paul so desperate to get back to Thessalonica? Why is he so desperate to get back to the city? Why is he so desperate? Because he's afraid for the people he loves. This is, uh, Bob, the microphone seems really loud to me. I feel like I'm shouting at myself. That would be great. Thank you. Why is he so, he's motivated, as strangely as it sounds, Paul is afraid. He's afraid that the people that he invested his life in 
and his ministry, the people who came to the gospel, he is afraid that if he doesn't get back there, if he doesn't get back there and teach them, if he doesn't get back there and pastor them, if he doesn't get back there and care for them, that they're going to be tempted and they're going to fall away. Now remember, this is very early in Paul's life. This is very early in his ministry. It's one of the first letters that we have from him. He is afraid that because maybe he didn't do everything correctly right, he didn't get everything right, there's incomplete instruction that they might be open to error. There might be somebody that might get in there and tempt them. He's afraid that they may not be able to endure the persecution that they're facing. And so he's desperately trying to get back. He says to them, I tried and I tried and I tried. And then in verse 5, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. He says, so finally, I, I, I just, I finally reached a point where I said, I've got to do something, and he sent Timothy. Now, before we judge Paul for being fearful, fearful, I want you to remember that nobody had ever done what Paul was doing. Paul was a Jew preaching the gospel of Christ to Gentiles. And, and building something, the Holy Spirit was building something through Paul that had never been. The, the New Testament church had not existed before. The, the church composed of Gentiles spread out through the Roman world had never existed before. And so Paul is presented with this unbelievably formidable, imposing task. And he's afraid he hasn't done it right. When you picture Paul... Do you picture a man with doubt? With fear? We tend to think of Paul as this monolithic, perfect, absolute, you know, church father. Standing there with a book, again, halo around his head, perfect beard. All right? We tend to think of Paul as being, as being one-dimensional. And yet here's a very human Paul desiring desperately to, he, he wanted to get back to these people because he's terrified of what's, go, what's going on there hey, maybe he didn't do enough maybe, maybe he didn't catch maybe there's heretics getting in there maybe the persecution is wearing these people down I need to know I have to go I have to go then he finally sends Timothy and when Timothy comes back Timothy says to him that he brings the good news of faith and love, and a longing to see him as much as he longs to see them. He says in verse uh, verse 7, he says, So I have been comforted about you through your faith. Paul, at the beginning of this, and I think Paul is being just very honest. I think the Holy Spirit is allowing the honesty of Paul's emotions and heart to shine through. Paul was afraid. Paul had to grow. Paul had to mature. Paul had to learn how to trust the Holy Spirit to work in the church. No one had ever done it before. No one had ever tried to pull this off before. No one had really ever really said, okay, we're going to do this completely new thing and, and the Holy Spirit's going to be at work and isn't this going to be awesome? Paul has 
Paul has no precedent for what he's doing. And yet when the answer comes back, the answer is, not only are they enduring, it's a difficult time, they're struggling, there's no doubt about it, and yet they are full of faith and love, and they miss him as much as he misses them. Paul is learning, and I think being honest enough in the scriptures for us to see that he's learning to let go and trust the Holy Spirit. Faith lets us loosen our grip on control and find comfort. So often, we... we we think that the only way that we can be faithful, the only way that we can be true, the only way that we can lead, the only way that we can parent, is if we maintain as much control as possible to make sure that things go the way that they're supposed to go. Because you never know. Something might happen. Something might blow it. Something, we, and if, as much control as we can have, we want to have. When I was learning to drive, when I was 16, 17 years old, um, I, uh, my, my father commented on, on the fact that I gripped the steering wheel slightly strongly. Um, apparently, when I drove, when I first started driving, um, you know, I did the 2 and 10, which is no longer the rule. I don't know why, but it's not. Um, and I did the 2 and 10, and I had my hand on the thing, and I was going to steer that car, and I was going to make sure the car was going straight, no matter what. And my father, now, parents, you're not supposed to tell your kids this, but my dad says to me, he says, son, let go of one hand. And I went, I, I'm not allowed to let go of one hand. Now, little did I know, I was driving in Massachusetts, there are no, no actual rules, um, but but uh, he said, let go. He said, you're holding too tight. And because you're holding too tight, A, you're making me motion sick. But B, you're, you're not going to be able to respond because you're holding on too tight. You have to let go. You have to let the car be a car. Now, that sounds like a really weird observation. But those of you that have been driving for long enough, you know the car has got to be the car. Sometimes your car is out of alignment. And your car wants to go to the right. And you better get that fixed. Because your car should not be the car in that case. But when your alignment is right, when you, your car is all balanced out, when everything is working right, your car wants to go straight. And your job is to just aim it straight. You're hurtling through the, through the hopefully at the speed limit, but you're hurtling through space in 1,000 a, a pounds or 2,000 pounds of metal and plastic, and it wants to go straight. And all you have to do is guide it. Tell it when it needs to turn, tell it when it's to move. And so I drive with one hand. It freaks some people out. Um, I also never look behind me. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody that doesn't do this. I don't do that. I have mirrors for a reason. I know where my blind spot is. That's why I hated my wife's white car, because the blind spot was like big. <laughs> hated that car with a passion. Um, 
but I drive with one hand. I tend to put one arm on the, during the summer. My left arm is always more tan than my right arm. I put one arm up. You're not supposed to drive like this, kids. It's against the rules. Um, but I put one arm up, and I generally drive with just two fingers. Cruising along, all right? And everybody's like, everybody's like, never drive with Eric. But I, but I learned that when I was holding on so tight, when I was gri- I do turn with two hands, just so you guys know. I don't... Uh, but the the uh, but you know I learned that I had to I had to let go. That the tighter I held, the worse the situation was. There was no comfort. There was no ease. There was no no calm. I call call it the driving zen. When you're seeing everything all at once without seeing anything, and and you know we play this game where I identify cars that are half a mile a mile away. Um, because I'm seeing everything all at once. I know that idiot back there in the you know, car with the loud muffler is going to shoot past me at 120 miles an hour and then screech on his brakes because he wasn't paying attention to that minivan in the, in the lane. You know, that kind of stuff. I want to see everything. In order to find that, you have to, you have to relax. You can't control. See, faith in, in the Holy Spirit doing what he's doing it's not about us being able to control every aspect of everything to make sure that everything lines up with God. Sometimes it's about trusting the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's about laying back. Sometimes it's about allowing Him to speak. And Paul had to learn the lesson that his fear wasn't bad. His concerns weren't about bad things. He was concerned that the church would deviate, that they would wander off into heresy, that they would get drawn off by false teachers. His concern wasn't bad. But his overwhelming desire, his, his drive, when God answered it, he answered it with the faith of those believers. That he had been enough a part of what God was doing that they could grow, that they could mature. Maybe not perfectly, but they were still being guided by the same Holy Spirit that equipped Paul to preach to them. Uh, I have, a, I have a, a whole bunch of books I never read anymore that sit on my bookshelf and look very impressive. Sometimes they hold computer monitors up. But then I have a couple of books that I read a lot, often. Read them over and over again. There's a, there's a book called Help for the Small Church Pastor. Um, as a little book, tiny book. One of the things that the pastor said, he and and you know he he talks about a lot of things, but one of the things he said is never believe for a second that the Holy Spirit showed up when you did. <laughs> now, those of you that have gone through church transitions, you've seen pastors come and go. You know what I'm talking about. There is a mentality that all right, I am here. God has told me what you're supposed to do. And I remember reading that line and thinking about all the difficulties that I know of all the pastors I know that went into churches and they immediately tried to to do everything and make that church in their image and and the difficulties that they face. And, And knowing that the Holy Spirit doesn't show up when you do. That he's been guiding parents to raise children for a long time. 
that he's been guiding churches to honor the scriptures for a long time. That he's been shepherding hearts and healing wounds and comforting grief for a long time. And that you don't, I joke around about the magic pastor dust, but you as a pastor, you as a parent, you as a, a leader, you don't step in and just have the secret sprinkle that makes everything better. Sometimes you just have to sit and wait and trust and have faith. And you know what? When you do that, I got news for you. Fear is natural. It is natural that you fear that faith is not enough. It is natural that you're afraid that you didn't do it right. Always, always, always view somebody who believes they did everything perfectly with a skeptical eye. Um, here's another illustration from another aspect of my life. Uh, my, uh, I know that he'll never, he'll never watch this because he's not a church-going guy, but my, my mentor, my instructor in martial arts cheats this one move in our kata, in our form, every single time. But he acts like he does it perfectly. It's like this. And every single time I stand there and I look at the person that I'm next to me and I went, he cheated. And they go, yes, he did. We all smile. And he, he's got the whole thing down. Be skeptical of people that got it all together because they're probably um, either not noticing that something isn't all together or, or they have cheated something to make it look like it's all together. Paul is willing to admit he doesn't have it all together. He's afraid. And did you know that confidence and conviction do not preclude fear? Why should you be afraid to die? You're a Christian. While we have a confidence in the life that we've been given through Christ, that doesn't mean we're not afraid of walking through that door. It doesn't mean that there isn't a little bit of trepidation. Why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith? Fear is part of faith. Because faith is trusting God to work even when we're afraid, even when we doubt. Faith is not arrogance. Faith is not the belief that you get everything right. Faith is trusting God to fix what you get wrong and to do what he will do. Sometimes we hold too tight. Sometimes we fear so much. But faith needs to breathe. Faith is given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life. Genesis chapter 2. He quickens us. Faith has to live. And living means moving. And moving means change. And change means sometimes we're afraid. And I think Paul was afraid. And it was only when he saw their faith that he realized just how important 
or rather just how not important his fears were. And he learned to trust the Holy Spirit. How much do you trust the Holy Spirit to do what you think only you can do? How much do you trust the Holy Spirit to equip you and gift you and guide you and teach you to accomplish what needs to be accomplished? And how much do you trust the Holy Spirit to work in the faith of others to bring them to hope and joy and peace and love? I grew up... um, And John Hodge and I joke around about this. I grew up in a faith tradition where every church service ended with an altar call. An altar call is when you play one hymn, usually just as I am, as much as you possibly can until a set quota of people comes to the front of the platform and prays, either to become Christians or to repent of some sin or to do something. You've heard my stories about that. There was one time I was in summer camp. And um, if you've never been to Christian summer camp and gotten saved, you should do it. I did it at least three times. Um, I was sitting in summer camp and there was a preacher. He was preaching on the, the, I don't remember what it was, the evils of alcohol or the danger of girls or something. I don't know what it was. There are only like three summer camp sermons. Um, and he was preaching so hard and he called for the every young man and woman in the room in the in the pavilion to come forward and repent and renew their faith and all this stuff so lower your heads he close your eyes and bow your head and and we're going to do this well I closed my eyes and I bowed my head I was probably about 12 um, and I closed my eyes and bowed my head and just sat there I had my eyes closed because I was told to close my eyes Every single other kid went up to the platform and was weeping and crying and lamenting till my counselor actually tapped me on the shoulder. Don't you want to go up? No. I mean, for, I mean, for one thing, I lived with one of the best preachers I've ever heard. He'd already preached that sermon before. and This wasn't anything new. And it was like, oh, you've got to do this thing. And the, the tradition that we grew up in was this obsession with people got to come forward, people got to pray, and you have to manipulate them to do that. You've got to tell people, man, there's nothing you want to confess, there's nothing you want to repent, come on, you've got to bring it up. Do we trust the Holy Spirit or not? Do you know that in our 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 assemblies every Sunday, there are people who are not followers of Christ. Every Sunday, there are people in our assembly who who may be exploring faith but not ready to make a decision. And fear and control says, we've got to get those people to make a profession now. But is the Holy Spirit here or not? Is He at work or not? Will he not move as he moves? And when we listen to him, do we not hear 
His voice. We can let go of trying to control everything in our lives and instead have faith in God. It doesn't mean you don't equip yourself. It doesn't mean you don't study. It doesn't mean you don't develop disciplines. But we let go of the fear and control and instead say, I have faith. I believe. And I'll flip this around. Just, you can take this and make an own sermon out of it. Because there might be somebody like Paul who needs to hear about your faith. Who's afraid. And the encouragement that Paul receives is not from himself. It's from the people who is afraid we're going to be lost. And they said, Paul, we love you. We care about you. Just so you know, we believe. And it comforted him. Confidence and conviction do not preclude faith. Sometimes we hold so tight and we fear so much, but faith needs to breathe and to live. And sometimes our faithfulness revealed in our trust in God is a comfort to others. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, help our faith to be real. Our fears to be real. Our honesty not to be just another word for marketing or branding, but truth. Our struggles, obvious. Our hearts, devoted to you. Lord, we don't want to just leave anything to chance, but we do want to trust that you are faithful and you are the faith giver. And we believe that in your time, through your people, your spirit leads and teaches and guides. And Father, if there are those who, have, who are still exploring, Lord, may our faithfulness reveal your faith. And if there are those who are afraid, may our devotion and our faith and our honesty and our commitment be a comfort. And Lord, if we are afraid, help the faith and devotion in your Holy Spirit at work in others be a comfort to us. We trust you even when we fear outcome. We rely on you even when we do not know how. You are our God, our Creator, our Master. Jesus, you are our Savior, our Redeemer, our only hope. Holy Spirit, you are our truth and our faith and our life giver. And so we give ourselves to you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go in peace.